Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Arduino Education podcast. Thanks for listening. We are your hostess, Melissa and Roxana from Arduino Education. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and get notifications when a new episode is published and never miss one. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts and other audio platforms. Mm -hmm. So in one of our previous episodes, we talk about the importance and relevance of science in our world and how different approaches can help teaching, learning and keeping students engaged and more interested in science. So today we will talk about another very important aspect of teaching and learning science, the curriculum. Why is it important? What makes an effective science curriculum? And we will also discuss with our guest the gender gap in this area. Our guest, Dr. Erica Colon, is a national board certified teacher with over 12 years of teaching experience in 6th to 12th grade secondary science, including physical science, biology, chemistry, earth science, and marine science. Erica holds a doctorate in curriculum and instruction with a focus in science and technology. And in 2012, she founded Nitty Gritty Science, LLC, where she continues to design and publish science curriculum, which can be found in thousands of classrooms around the globe. That's right. Erica also organizes and hosts the Champions for Science virtual conference series for science educators, where extraordinary leaders, creators, and innovators in science education come together to focus on the most important matter, the students, the future champions for science. So welcome, Dr. Erica Colon. Thanks for joining. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You guys made me feel so important. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you are. You are. Yeah, look at everything. What have you done? So, yes. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Erica. So before we start discussing today's topic, we would like to ask you some few short questions for our EduVision Friends book. So what makes you feel inspired? Well, I'll tell you what, um, the more that um, virtual has gotten um, through communities and um, social media has been growing over the time, I have been able to reach out and share not just like science education, but just science facts and, and fun demos. And, and what makes me inspired is that when, for example, TikTok is the latest one. And for fun, I just started putting demos on. And the responses that I get from these TikToks, like I have responses and they're like, hey, I'm 70 years old and I never learned that. Thank you for teaching me something today. Or I have something that said, I've never even, I've seen this a million times. I've, I've never seen it done this way. And you see that people at all ages are still wanting to learn. And I just think that is so fun. And they just, even when they're 70, 80, 90 year old, nobody stops asking questions. And I absolutely love that. So it just, the comments just, uh, I just love working with humans. Humans and their questions are so fun to me. And just seeing like, okay, what can I teach them next? Or what can I share next and keep this curiosity going? So that's what really inspires me. Just that for all ages are so curious to keep learning. Yeah. And I can imagine you can get some kind of questions that you haven't thought about. So that, oh, like, oh I need to figure out this. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yeah. Some have taught me a few on there too, or they'll, and, and nobody is afraid to let you know when you're wrong, which is um, very fun too. So it's like challenge accepted. Let me go back and let me relearn some things. So it's very fun. And then of course you also get the comments about what, 
actors and stuff that I thought I never thought I looked like, but okay, maybe you know, yeah. people are sharing anything they want out there, but it's very fun. I love it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Then do you have any people, books, resources, or other things that have been particularly influential for you? Um, you know, over time, I, I follow a lot of um, science educators. I follow a lot of science communicators. Um, and I love when people um, take simple concepts and they just break it down so easily for people. Uh, uh, I love watching like Veritasium and, and um, he's on social media. He's big. And um, I like watching like people take something where it seems like such an abstract concept and they're now bringing it to the masses and um, uh, sharing it. Like I follow the physics girl. She's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And she also takes, um, she just went out to this mud hole recently and something like, nobody would know existed something that was not even there. And she showed what was happening. She talked to the geologists that were out there and it was just absolutely fascinating. And I just think just bringing these concepts and then sharing the science behind it. These are the people that I like to watch um, just show their expertise because they're showing things that normal people don't think about or that don't even know exists out there. So it's very yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Like they say, thinking outside the box, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's especially when you're teaching and learning, so that helps. Mm -hmm. So what's one thing you wish you'd know when you began your career? When I began my career, I'll tell you what. So I was in sixth grade and I went and told somebody, they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? This is the big question. I guess sixth graders got asked a lot. And I remember I just said, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. And nobody said what kind of teacher. And I just chose for myself at sixth grade, I could already see like, I just liked teaching. I would be the kid who would teach my brother and sister. Like we're playing school today. I'm going to teach you. We're going to do math. We're going to do everything. Um, so it wasn't a particular subject. When I decided what I was going to teach, I already knew looking around, I can't, I don't want my students just sitting here all day. I want something that they're engaged. And I could see already at sixth grade, science was the only subject at that time where students were creating or students were doing something hands on. And that is where I thought, this is where I want to be. I want to be in something that I'm engaged with. And so I chose science education. Um, and I just, so then I started telling everybody, I want to be a science teacher. I want to be a science teacher. And nobody ever questioned me why, <laughs> like, why do you want to be a science? Nobody ever said, so I went 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th, and I'd go to my counselor. I'm going to go to college to be a teacher. What college do I go to, to be a teacher? And again, nobody asked why science, why science? And so it was like this epiphany I had, I was sat down, I'm watching TV one time and this show comes on, you might've heard of it called CSI. And I said, what is this? Like, I had no idea that a career like this even existed. I had no idea that somebody in science could go out and do forensics and work in the lab and look at all this evidence under a microscope. The only thing I knew in a microscope was you looked at a cheek cell, you looked at a plant cell, you looked at slides, and that was it. Then the microscopes get put away. And I'm this whole world opened up to me because of this TV show. And it was like this thing that nobody ever taught me, like, what would you like to do with science? It was never brought forth. So I think I did have a one 
kind of thing at the beginning of my teaching career, like maybe I don't want to be a teacher. Like what else can I find out there? And um, I ended up getting my first teaching job in 2000. And nope, it was teaching. I love it. I love science, but um, it, I, it, I just knew right then and there, like I loved working with the students and just taking these ideas that even um, one of my favorite things is like the periodic table and turning it into a puzzle kind of, and then watching them unlock this puzzle. And that's it, gives me goosebumps every year. I loved it. I look something I look forward to. And I knew that is what I wanted to do. I just love teaching in general. So that's kind of where everything kind of started from. Yeah, that's cool. But it's like you said, it's just being aware of everything that is out there would be nice. Teaching was your thing, but to still be aware. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then what's a common myth about your profession or field that you would like to set straight? Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest myths about teaching and education, and I know even when I say it right now, some of your lists are going to be like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. But teachers go into the field because they want that summer vacation, right? They want that Christmas vacation. They don't want to work 12 months a year. And um, teaching is just one of the most demanding and rigorous jobs I have ever had. But at the other side, it's the most rewarding. And you are working all hours. You're working through your summers. You're working through your breaks. You're getting preparing and prepping and putting units together and you're always working year round and you might take your little vacations with your family but it, it unless you are teaching and trying to meet the needs of 110 125 students knowing you have to be on all day long and you're up there on stage and you're taking the brunts when they tell you your hair looks like whack today, Dr. Clone, or, hey, do you know you have a button unbuttoned? So then you have to keep smiling through that, even though you're sweating and you're embarrassed. And I've had so, I could tell you so many like these embarrassing moments and you just have to keep pressing through and you have to just take the grit along with it. Um, and so it is just something that teachers do not go into teaching because they get these breaks. They are working their butts off all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard that one, but I've never actually met a teacher who would say that it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's probably the biggest myth. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about new ways of teaching, like what can I do next? How can I improve? Yeah. And because we're always seeing things out there and technology is always changing and resources are always being added, then you're like, well, I can learn this one. Maybe my students would like this one. And then you have to stay on top of trends or students will come after you, right? So then you have to say this and keep them always engaged. So it, you're learning all the time. I'd say teachers, no matter how old they are, are the hippest people out there because they always have to stay on trends with the, yeah. the students all the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. And the last and also our favorite question, <laughs> tell us something interesting about yourself. Most people don't know. Let's see something that most people don't know about me is probably if I did not go into teaching, one of my favorite things to do. And I think it's goes along with my science is I almost went to culinary school. I think cooking is just like one big chemistry lab. And I love just watching how recipes and flavors and everything's comes together. 
And so um, I just love to cook in my kitchen. I, and I love mixing cocktails. That's another my thing, because I just think, again, it's just um, just a, a lot of like old cocktails and vintage cocktails. And um, and I don't bake. It's, I'm not a baker. I'm more of a salty kind of savory person, so appetizers and, and meals. But I think it's because I love science so much. I like watching how this whole recipe in this lab comes together. And so I almost went into culinary school just for that. And then I'm thinking, maybe I just like eating more. So maybe it's just because I'm a huge foodie. Maybe it wouldn't be such a good idea. <laughs> but I was this close to going into culinary school. <laughs> wow. Nice. That's well, cool. that's a skill that you can use then at home and benefit exactly. from it. Exactly. So yeah. It's good. <laughs> Nice. Thank you. Those were the friends book questions, but then let's dive into today's topic. Yes. And let's start with the simple one. What is science? So simple, right? What yeah. is science? <laughs> Easy. Now, you know, science is just studying the natural world around you. Everything is connected. And one of the things that I think we need to get past in science education is everything is taught so linear. It's biology is taught down a lane. Chemistry is taught down a lane. Physics is taught down a lane. And there's not this interconnection when they do. They all connect all the time. You have to understand biology to understand physics. You have to understand chemistry and how it works at the molecular level to go to the cellular level to see how air and molecules for physics. So it's all connected. And as an um, education system, it's always been taught so linear. And so science is just taking those connections and and learning those connections of everything in the natural world and how it behaves. And then what is getting built from that? What is innovated from that? Um, what can we learn from nature and what can we learn from learning about how things work together? So that is my definition of science, I would say. <laughs> Very good one. So in, we mentioned and, um, during the intro that in 2012, you started Nitty Gritty as a way to share your passion of teaching and provide the solution. So like Nitty Gritty refers to the basics or what is essential or the heart of the matter, right? So yes. what is the Nitty Gritty of learning science? <laughs> How do we learn science? Well, it's easy. You have to start at the basics, right? You have to kind of keep building on this knowledge. And at the time when you start, no matter what level you are at, you have to keep it interesting for the students and you have to keep it relevant to what they know around them. And so when I say that, uh, you know, I always have said, let's get down to the nitty gritty guys. We need to kind of break this down first. Let's go to simplistic and then we'll see how this works in your the system that you see out here today and natural phenomena that you see. But it's kind of just starting at the basics and it's also going back when I had my students. Now I've done sixth through 12th grade. Um, I've never taught at the elementary, but I want to make sure that I want to ask them, what did they learn at the elementary to, to kind of build on that? And I will tell you what, um, I've taught in six different states. I'm a, I'm a Navy wife. Um, I've taught in a lot of different um, school districts. 
And something as simple as when you, as a teacher, you assume by sixth, seventh, eighth grade, um, students might have learned the metric system or rulers and that sort of thing, and they don't. And so these are things that you have to kind of go back and, and learn about metric and you have to learn about basics of human bodies and you have to kind of break down all these misconceptions that students have. Um, and, and some they have kind of created on their own just from misinformation. I remember one time I had a, um, a huge poster of animals in my room, it was just this weird poster of all these different animals everywhere. And there was a lion and a tiger on there. And I remember I, I the kids were on break and I just heard this discussion. And this was in um, ninth grade, ninth grade. And I heard a student say to somebody, duh, lion is the male and tigers are the females. That's why you don't see any female. And, and something like that, I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And it's there are these so many misconceptions. Now that's a big misconception, but somewhere along the way, this student understood that this lion, only lions are males and tigers are females. And um, so that's a big one, but there's all these little tiny misconceptions, especially like with moons and suns and, and how seasons are. And so you always have to break down the beginning to kind of start to see where those misconceptions are. So that's why I say, let's get down to nitty gritty. Let's break down misconceptions and then we'll start building on those concepts again. Yeah, well, that's a great example. And you have to know what they know so far to be able to then continue from that, because then it's always harder and harder the more information you add, if the basics, if they're wrong. Right, and, the, and where it's happening is it's starting to change a little bit in education, but before mm -hmm. in education, like when I was growing up, you as a student did not get to speak too much. You were taught at, taught at, taught at, and you never got to say in your own words what you understood. You just got this information blasted at you. It was lectured to you. And then you had to turn it around on a paper test, multiple choice, doing your um, finals and that sort of thing. And so there was never a point where there was a conversation so those misconceptions could be addressed. So I think it's really important. And we're starting to do that movement now where um, it started even being pushed into the um, you know, the scientific method that there has to be an end where students have to be able to communicate to you or communicate results. You have to hear what they're thinking um, and understanding. And so this communication piece is a big one. So that is where you're going to start understanding if they're having misconceptions or not. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's very interesting, especially the part of misconceptions that probably that makes it even harder for students to understand science and for teachers to teach because you also need to address these misconceptions and on top of that, teaching science. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then uh, why is it getting more students interested in studying science is so important? Why is it important? Well, I mean, science is just building on everything. And this is where um, we talk about STEM. STEM is that buzzword out there, but STEM is just science and technology and engineering, mathematics. And again, it's because everything is connected, right? You can't do science without math. You can't do math and engineering without pieces of science. And so this is where a lot of fields are growing that are being innovative that, and we need trade jobs out there that are STEM. And so you, the students have to understand again, what's going on with the natural world and climate change and uh, building and all of this is connected. So that is why it is so important to um, 
have science fields and STEM fields in that taken care of. Yeah. Also, what, what do you think about, maybe this is also a misconception, that the fundamental knowledge we get from science doesn't have like an immediate, uh, immediate application. So what do you think about that? Um, what do you mean by that? Like, do you, what do you mean? Like um, that uh, we just don't understand it right away? Could you just... Uh, yeah, or, or for example, like what you learn, maybe you need to do more or you will see results in the future. Like it's not like immediate. So maybe students will say, what do I st study this if the results won't be, won't be there? <laughs> Well, that's one of their age-old questions, right? When am I ever going to use this in real exactly, life? Exactly. <laughs> the, the same question. When I'm learning this, how am I going to use that? Exactly. So that is a question, but a lot of times those pieces are foundations for other things that are going to be relevant in their life. And when we lear learn about like air pressure or something, and we're showing them this this formula with air pressure and Bernoulli's and say something like that. We're talking about pressure laws. Maybe in your real life, you are not going to understand that you have to go ahead and plug in this, these numbers for these uh, pressure laws. But in real life, you are going to be dealing with air pressure when you're filling air in your tires, when you have kids and you're building this and, and you have to understand you can't overfill the tires. And, and so, those are just very simple applications in real, real life. And then you might move into jobs where you have to understand how different pressures of gases work. And um, if you're working with, with tanks that have different types of, um, you know, uh, chemicals and stuff in it. So it all depends on where you're going to go. But all of this kind of, I mean, we make these connections in our brain and then they start tying together with other things. And now, are, is everything going to stay there? No, right? Even I have to go back. For example, I'm going to be honest, when I have to teach photosynthesis, I have to relearn it every single time because the Krebs cycle does not stay up here. And so, but when we're talking about how electrons are moving um, and, and, different little um, components of this Krebs cycle. Well, we're going to have to pull other knowledge about, okay, what is an electron again? And we're building on these uh, things. So everything is not so, it has to be so put importance on it, but it is very good to learn. So you can kind of pull these pieces that you need, the little pieces of knowledge and relearn them um, and start building on new parts of information that you learn through life and your job or just learning in general. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> it, it does. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but it, it is. It, and it's like uh, we often perceive that science something so abstract that where do we need this or how are we supposed to understand yeah. this? So. And also what you said, very important, oh, sorry, about give you context, because sometimes you don't understand. Like you said, I am learning like the air pressure and where can I use this, right? So that's what you said, like need the students need also context that's very yes. important so they understand the yeah and, and there's a lot of for some reason there's kind of like this um i wouldn't say it's always negative but there's always kind of like this cloud put over science and a lot of people would be like oh i'm terrible at science i never like science well do you like cooking like for example like the that's science right or do you like kind of uh building something or putting together a playground or doing Legos or doing construction and stuff. And so there's all these pieces where um, 
you think they say, I don't like science. I was never good at science. Well, maybe there's certain science, like I'm not good at organic science. Uh, it's kind of like a whole alien language to me when I look at organic chemistry, but, um, but it's also not an interest I have either. So do I put a lot of interest towards that if it's not something, but I do enjoy other components of it. And so just to kind of put out there, I don't really like science. And it's funny because I put out a book, um, I wrote a book about um, physics for kids. And I wonder if even that title be like, oh, physics, I hate physics, even though physics is everything, right? Physics is flight and swimming and flying in air and rolling your car, everything. But that term physics has such this negative connotation to it. And it's just like, oh, I could never, it's just numbers and math and, and already it's just thrown out the window because nobody understands like physics encompasses everything, everything you do to just, you know, walking and friction and you not falling down, that's physics, right? And so um, physics is one of the most fun sciences, I think, because it's so tangible and it's your everyday life that you can make so many connections to. But that word physics just turns people off immediately because in school, it's just tied to a lot of math formulas and, and putting out equations. And I don't know really where that happened, but it did. And so now we have to go back and start making physics teaching it a little bit differently and applying these things and, and doing these problem-based learning and project-based learnings where they can solve problems using physics. And I think that's where we're going to get students for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's like you said uh, earlier that being aware of uh, what is, what is science, like you didn't know CSI, <laughs> but it's also related to science. So yeah. all this, just being aware and understanding if you, if you love football, you play football, you can become a better football player if you understand physics. For example. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Then how did you realize that nitty gritty science was needed? What kind of resources does nitty gritty science provide for teachers? Well, I first started, um, uh, it's funny because I did not go into starting nitty gritty science. I started because um, I was going to go back and teach science teachers. That's what I was. I was in this transition. I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, I was going to go back after the pregnancy um, and we were going to move and I, I had a job lined up to teach. My daughter ended up getting sick and I, she had to stay in the hospital for a long time. So I couldn't go back into teaching. And um, so I had to do something from home. And at this time, um, I, my mom sent me this article, Hey, this teacher's making money writing curriculum. And I said, well, I, I can do that. I can write curriculum. So I thought, well, what's the easiest one to teach? What's the easiest one to create matter? Everybody likes matter. I can do something matter. Everybody knows solid liquid gas and boom, boom, boom. I pushed this out. I put it online. Does nitty gritty science. I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get to the nitty gritty of matter, solids and liquids and gas. I'm thinking I'm smart here. I got this. And I made like $13 in a year. And I was like, <laughs> I'm making money selling this, right? And it really didn't go anywhere from that. I'm thinking this, you know, this is matter. And then I got to thinking like, okay, Erica, now I just put out matter, but every teacher can teach matter. They can teach solids, liquids, and gases. So I really had to stop and think when I knew that um, I was not going back into the classroom and this was not going to be a hobby. Like this is what something I need to really focus on and how since I'm not able to help science teachers in person, that was my goal. And it, it, it took a little bit of a mind shift too. I, 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 that's not the way I saw my life going. I really was like, 
oh man, I, this is what I want to do. I want to help science teachers. So I did a little mind shift and I said, well, how can I help science teachers now? So then I thought to myself, well, there is a product that I love teaching with. It's called a science interactive notebook. And the one thing that a science interactive does, it's one of the most successful resources because students build it out themselves, but you have to provide the activities in it. And um, it's very hard to make it through a year as a teacher if you tried to build one on yourself because it takes so much time to find activities, to relate them, to uh, use those notes. And it is a, uh, and, and at that time, you have to just kind of go on the internet and piecemeal thing. This isn't something you could just buy an interactive notebook online. It didn't exist. You would go to professional development. They would tell you how to do it. You'd bring it back to your class. And it is impossible. By the time you hit October, it's just like, no, we're not doing our interactive notebooks today. We're too behind. We need to go boom, boom, boom. And you're just now um, falling behind more and more. And it kind of gets put by the wayside. So I said to myself, if I could create this interactive notebook so teachers did not have to go and spend all of their time finding these little interactive notebook activities that relayed right to their lesson, I just built it out myself. That way they don't, it's right there for them and they could just use this and students would be super successful because they'd walk away with this interactive notebook. That would have helped me as a teacher if somebody would have showed me how to, or give me an interactive notebook and say, here you go. Now all you have to do is teach. You have everything you need. So that is where I started building Nitty Gritty Science from is trying to make materials that teachers were having to struggle and build themselves. When we know these resources work, but nobody was making these resources like we know, like as a teacher, we know what helps our students, but they weren't out there because the publishing companies didn't do this. The publishing companies made textbooks and workbooks and tests and not the creativeness and not the engaging pieces that we wanted for our students. So then I started building out that and then that is where it was born. And then I started building the curriculum on that. So if this is what I'm going to teach in my interactive notebook. This is the lab that I think would really relate to that. And then now that you did the lab and you did that in the lab, now let me show, now you should understand it. Show me what you know. Now you're going to do this challenge and you're going to build this and you, you know, relate it back to what you've learned already. And so that I started building out over the past decade, my curriculum around earth science and life science and physical science. Wow. <laughs> It's very interesting how you started and then how you where you are now. I know. <laughs> I wonder if you would ask me, no way would I have said this, but I, I have been super fortunate. I would not right now change anything about what I'm doing. I get up in the morning. I absolutely love what I do. I will spend hours at it and I do not get tired. Like I absolutely love my job. I love it. Yeah, we can tell that you're very passionate. So that's very, that's very good because then it's how you produce very interesting work and helpful for others. So that's, mm -hmm. that's great. So um, let's discuss the, the gender gap in, in, sure. in education. So men outnumber women majoring in most STEM fields in college. In your opinion, why, why is this? Where do we lose the girls? I think um, the number one reason is there were, there were, and there are not that many role models for females. Um, you, I mean, I think everybody has heard this. You, you give the kids the 
say what a science test look like. A lot of them do the males. Boys will definitely write draw male. Boys will not draw female scientists. And uh, there are just not the role models. When we do break into a field or something, then girls have to um, start trying to beat all these stereotypes. And there's still a lot of barriers that are need to be pushed over about how they're treated in the workplace. And so I think it's starting to go that way. And again, I think this is one of these powerful things of social media where we're starting to see a lot more female scientists come out and share what they're doing and, and listen to their stories. And there are female engineers out there. But again, when you picture an engineer, it's not what somebody who's going to pick a male role for that engineer, probably with a male role. I can even right now, if I were to say 10 years ago, what's an engineer? I picture a white male, a yellow hard hat, a rolled up blueprint over his shoulder, standing there with a big construction scene behind him, right? That is what we were taught as engineers. Uh, a lot of males in the textbooks, especially chemistry textbooks and that sort of thing. And so it's just, um, the, I think that is why. And then again, from my past experience, nobody asked me, nobody said why, or no, and, and not even asked, but hey, if you like science, let's go see what is out there. Let me share with you what is out there as a field that you can do if you like it. And so it's, um, there are a lot of students just have to find this information themselves. And sometimes that's hard to do, right? So you have to be a self-advocate for yourself if you don't know where to start or you don't know where to go, then it's just like, okay, well, then I guess I will just go into this field where everybody's just like, oh, yeah, that's easy and everybody understands it and you, you kind of are fitting now your stereotype again and everybody now is cheering you on. Because if you start saying something that somebody doesn't understand, like, hey, I want to be one of, um, there's, oh my goodness, I'm going to forget her name. She's a space geologist and I think her, I think her tag is space geologist on Instagram. And she is a geologist of mostly the moon. And uh, and I'm just like, I didn't even know there was space geologists. I just learned this like two years ago. And I was like, ah, like to me, I want to tell my students, you know, if I had students, you could be a space geologist. Like how cool is that? And um, it's stuff like that. You just need to kind of keep putting all this information out there and for girls especially and get excited about it and tell them like you would be so good at this and encourage um and so that is kind of where we're at right now to keep encouraging and, and showing different roles that they can do and um i think it's very important that we keep showing them a hands-on way too because we're got to be careful we're starting to move into this education feel that everything is online and everything is staying on computers. And um, so we have to, you know, show them, let's get your hands dirty. Let's problem solve. Let's get into these projects. And I think a lot of girls and boys both want to solve a lot of these problems out here, but we're not showing them how to do that. There's a lot of, you know, all these crisis banners everywhere, like plastic in the ocean and blah, blah. Great. But how do we teach them how to do it? How do we show them these problems? Who can we connect them with that they can do that? So it's a lot of still educating the students and educating the girls that there's a lot of these, um, you know, 
careers out there that they could do. So I think, um, oh my gosh, we could just go on for like this forever. But I think you understand what I'm trying to say. It's just, it's just, um, I think a lot of times people just get tired and just say like, okay, that's what you want to do. Good. Like, and, and you've already, you, you have already said this one job, so I don't have to worry about you anymore. You're going to be okay as a science teacher. I'm going to go focus on somebody else who says, I don't know anymore. I got to figure it out. So, you know, our adults are trying to help those people who are, haven't figured it out when they are not even helping these other people and other students that think they have it figured out. But I mean, these students are only 16, 17 years old, you know, they don't have anything figured out. They act like they have things figured out. That's for sure. And then they get a big wake up call. So it's still just kind of putting information out there, what they could do. Yeah. And it can be that one person, one role model that is enough for us to understand it. Okay. This is actually the thing I want to do. Absolutely. Or the carry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about then uh, with your work? You already mentioned that, for example, adding more of these hands-on or different kind of role models in our textbooks, but with how can curriculum design help narrow the cap? Well, we're doing um, a lot of things. So with this STEM field, again, you have to kind of focus more on problems out there. And this is how we're going to start making it relevant is um, I think uh, the girls, you know, want to solve problems. So how can we make this relevant to them? How can we make these real world problems relevant to them and show them this is what you could do to start fixing these problems. What solutions do you have? Let the kids be innovative and they're not all going to work. Their answers are not all going to work, but let them start kind of figuring out solutions on their own, like solving crimes. How would you solve this crime? What do you know that you could use? Like, how can you design um, clean water? Or if there's not enough water, what could we do? Or uh, climate change, plastic in the ocean. And these are like real huge world problems. Start smaller too. Like how can we produce something more in our gardens, right? Or, or something like that. But we have to start not being so linear and making these projects that apply math and that apply technology. And I'm not saying there's a lot of STEM challenges out there that it's, um, and they're still good. I don't want somebody coming after me. For example, like here's toothpicks and here's marshmallows and they're going to build this tower. Okay. So that's a great challenge. They have to kind of use these math skills, but it's not solving a problem. And so we want to make sure that the end of a um, STEM project is that they have just completed this challenge to solve a problem. How did they innovate to come up with this solution? How did they innovate and use what they know from all of these different sciences and math fields and technology and um, come up and that will be super rewarding to them. And if you, I mean, we all love reward systems, right? And if we just see something that actually worked, right? And, um, and you, and it, you did it yourself, just think of how proud you are, right? Like me, I bake a cake and it comes out like everybody's just like, man, that cake was delicious. I'm like, I know, I made it. It is good. And if you know, it encourages you, right? You're just like, yeah, of course. And it encourages you to bake more and it makes you feel good. Well, that's how we need to do the education. We need to have them problem solve. And then you sent them out challenge, 
put them against each other, let them show like my design worked. It was fantastic. They feel good about themselves. It didn't work. All right, go back to the drum board. What didn't work? Fix it. Let's challenge it again. And so we want to kind of build up this uh, confidence to kind of start breaking these gaps and show like you can do it. And yeah, you were wrong the first time, but you fixed it. Right. And look what you did. Look what you were able to achieve right there. And that's what we have to keep um, impressing upon with these students for sure. Yeah. yeah. Having all the variation of problems, role models, different experiments. So there's uh, something for everyone. Yes. <laughs> and it's not so right. It takes like a, a whole kind of mindset in a team and 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 the other thing is you run into the barriers too it's like getting schools funding there there's different discrepancies all across the nation some students don't have labs that other students have teachers don't have funding that other teachers have and this is a huge issue so you have these educators like i want to do that i want to do that but i have no resources to do that so this is something like we can't even have teachers who want to do that get there because we have all these other problems that we need to fix first in the education system. Education needs funding. Science needs funding. And then I'm just going to go on my soapbox here, but science needs to get a little bit of importance at the elementary level first also, because there is no importance at all. And that's where the kids are curious. That is where we're going to start snagging those kids when we start getting them interested in science and it's not there. Science at the elementary level is treated more like a, if you have time, throw it in there. Or, okay, you got a, you got a week here, do your science here. And there's so many stories I have when we went into um, lockdown last year and they had to teach in elementary, I have, I have elementary students of my own. That, and the, it, they were told, the teachers were told, forget science and social studies. Don't do science and social studies. If you can't just do math and reading. And me, I'm just like, <laughs> like what if you want to lose a generation of scientists then that is what you do and now we're already behind in this nation with uh, our science scores and that and that is because the importance is taken away and we're losing all these scientists and then on top of it we go into lockdown and then all the teachers are just giving worksheets, 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 worksheets. And now all the kids who thought they were going to be in science blowing stuff up and getting to build and hands on. We just lost that whole generation of scientists. And um, so we just need to kind of make it a bigger importance um, in our education system for sure. Yeah. Not an easy task. No. no. <laughs> but but like the first step is be aware of that. So yeah. we are aware of that. So <laughs> maybe baby steps, but I think, yeah, it's possible to change that. Yes. So hopefully. So uh, we were talking about different resources for, for teachers. And you recently tried some activities with the Arduino Science Physics Lab. Yep, I did. Uh, what was your experience with that with that tool? Well, that one was um, fun because you had different builds in that kit. And what the students would do is if any student had been to a local county fair or they've ever been on carnival rides or something, they would understand the connection because they were doing like um, grab They were tying it and making it relevant to Gravitrons and different carnival games and toys. So that would definitely help the students make the connection to something that they've already um, done in real life. They were bringing in this past knowledge again, right? 
And do you think a student would ever think going on a carnival ride, riding a Gravitron would ever play back into their science class? I doubt it if you were to ask them when they were going on the Gravitron. So that was great word that the students could go ahead and collect that data and made it relevant to what they have already had a previous experience. And that is how the Arduino kit kind of grabs and hooks those students because they made it relevant to what they already did. So it, it, they were a great kit and it gave a lot of different options for the students to do those different builds. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you think in general tools like these contribute to science education? I think they're very fascinating because they um, are using, well, first of all, the way apps are getting built out now, if I would have had like the Arduino app you know, on a phone handheld that all the students have access to when I was teaching in the classroom, that would have been such a headache saver. And right there, they're getting real time data. They're seeing it hooked up to the um, device that they have just built. And right there, they're able to see that and make the connection and they can adjust the app and change things and change parameters on it. And so they are doing this themselves. And you know how students are with their phone. They are so much more willing to try things than adults where adults will be like, oh, no, no, don't, don't mess up my phone, don't move my apps, where students are just like, boop, boop, boop. And right there, they can manipulate how things, uh, the controls, so they can kind of see the variables and stuff. And so I think that is what the students love to see. They like to manipulate on their own and they are going to pick it up so much faster than someone like me as an adult would. I would be so like, we're going to focus on this one parameter. We're going to collect that. No, no, no. Students don't want to do that. They want to dive right in and they can pick up things very quickly. And now they can make those connections, which was uh, such a great tool with this app to use. So I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great when you can try out all the different ones and you can immediately see, okay, this one reacts to this, this one, this. So you can play around. And like you said, if it's on your own phone, you can also continue at home. So it's yeah. not just the school environment. That you have that's to. absolutely right. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, that's why it kind of worked when we said, because we, we were doing the kit and there were at that time, still a lot of students um, still learning from home and virtual. And there is now a huge population that's going to homeschooling. And so that is exactly the students can use this on their own and they can collect all that data. You don't have to have a big school lab to do all that. So you're absolutely right. Nice. So uh, just one thing now uh, we talk about the app, but you also organize and host the Champions for Science virtual conference series, right? Mm -hmm, I do. Uh, yeah. So when is going to be, or do you have dates? Or so we just finished our 2021 series and this conference came out um, because when, of course, the pandemic hit, um, Teachers were coming, I have a, a lot of uh, teachers, I work with teachers and they were coming and saying, how do I do this? I've never taught from home. I've never, I've never experienced anything. And I was saying, listen, I, I started answering like, I haven't either. If it was me, maybe I would do this. And that just wasn't helpful. I do not think I was helping them enough. So what we ended up doing is that, you know what I do know though, I do know a lot of teachers out there. I do know a lot of educators who are going through the same thing. And while I might not have all the answers, I bet you if we all come together and start sharing what challenges we have and how we're trying to combat those and what resources you're using and what apps you're using and how you're um, going to hook your students and stay engaged and not have the students turn off. And so that is kind of where it was built is because we wanted to collaborate together 
because you don't need to be every man for himself out there in education. Education and teachers, they we are the number one stealer of stuff. Like, give me your ideas and I'm going to give you mine. And it's always been over time. It's always this collaborative effort. We're always building on each other's ideas and and seeing and, and what works for you in your classroom. I'm going to try that with my students, but I'm going to do this and I'll tell you how it works. And this has always been the conversation as long as I've ever been in education. And so that's kind of where it came from. So we did a virtual conference um, 2020. We just finished one for 2021. And one of our hallmark pieces of the Champions for Science is we do a, a conference called Demo Days. And this is because we don't want um, teachers, especially in virtual land, to not feel confident that just because you're virtual or teaching across that you can't do demos for your students. You can't let them do hands-on engagement. And so we were sharing a lot of ideas where all students need at home is paper and tape and straws and toilet paper rolls. And so we were trying to help at home because again, we were seeing so many things going to this digital PDF and that was what all work was. And, and we thought, no, we're going to lose scientists. We're going to lose these kids engagement they're going to feel that they were robbed of their science experience because kids when they start coming to middle school and high school they're thinking yes right we're going to be dissecting we're going to be getting to touch the microscope we're going to be in the chemistry lab we're going to be outside building and throwing things and rockets and and we don't want them to lose that excitement so that's where demo days came from so we just finished up our 2021 season and we're going to actually start very soon putting our 2022 season out there so if anybody wants to be a presenter, come find me. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. that's great. That was actually my next question is that how can our listeners, if they're interested in your work, where should they follow you uh, or contact yep. you if they're yep. interested? So I'm, a, I'm pretty much nitty gritty science on all social media platforms, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. You can find me on all of those. Um, if you want to just look at the conference series, you can just go to championsforscience.com. Um, if you want to just look specifically for that, but yeah, I'm nitty gritty science on all social media. So you will be able to find me out there or if you are an educator or a homeschooler or just love science, um, we really try to share a lot of resources, um, that are free, that are easy to use. So it's not just nitty gritty science products. I've always want, like I said, I want teachers to steal ideas. I try to put all the websites and resources out there because there's so much out there that, um, all these organizations and um, companies put together that's free. And so that's what we try to do. We try to share a lot of ideas that hopefully you can use in your classroom. I think Perfect. they will. Yeah. So thank you so much, Erica, for your time. This was very interesting <laughs> and very fun, actually, to listen to you. Like like I mentioned before, you're so passionate. So it's like contagious. Like, yeah. Yes. I talk with my hands all the time. That's the New Yorker. But thank you so much for having me on. This has been an absolute pleasure. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for your time. So what did you like about today's topic? Give us a review and join the conversation on Education Life episode on Thursday, November 4 at 5 p.m. Central European time. And you can comment and participate on the live chat on our social media channels on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Crosscast. And you can, of course, check the episode afterward. Find the direct links from arduino.cc education slash edubition. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.